Hello, friends. I know it was intended that this would be the blame game episode. However, I'm still writing and working on that one, and I feel I need just a little bit more time to create it. That said, I am very pleased to share with you part one of my two-part interview with Tracy Lepke. Her story is absolutely fascinating. I learned so much from her, and I loved doing this interview. I hope whatever information you get is of great value to you. So please enjoy. Welcome to the Happy Pill Podcast. I'm Ursula Yerdun. In each episode, you're going to hear me share my story while offering information and resources while you continue on your journey of surpassing the effects of abuse and depression. I'm going to be doing some interviews with some very special guests who are going to share their journey and processes because my way is not the only way of healing. And the more information we have, the more we can share with one another. My hope is that you find love, inspiration, and purpose for your life. So let's get started. Welcome back, my friends. I'm so excited that you are here for another episode, and I am absolutely thrilled to have my (laughs) pal Tracy Lepke here. And just to give a little bit of intro into who Tracy is, she is a Canadian actor, author, activist, spiritual intuitive, Reiki master, and a medium. (sighs) But let's just not stop there. Let's also toss in that she does tarot card readings, spiritual cleansing of houses, and is writing her first novel called CORE, C-O-R-E, and that stands for Creating Our Reality Every Day. But it didn't always start off this way. It was a severe back injury and a nervous breakdown that Tracy sought out the help of counseling and Reiki that would lead her onto her current path. So today, in part one of our two-part series, Tracy is bravely sharing her personal story of how all of that happened, how religion played into depression and anxiety, and how she rediscovered her spiritual gifts. So, my friend, I'm so excited that you are here, and thank you for coming on to my podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is... It's new and it's exciting and it kind of just goes along with everything that I've been doing this last few years. It's all new and exciting. All new and exciting. (laughs) Like the whole spiritual journey, you mean? Absolutely. Yep. Everything. Yep. Awesome. Well, I'm I'm just, I'm excited. I'm so excited to have you here because just when we were doing the prep work for your show and just listening to what you have to share, I just think it's going to help so many people because I think there's so many people that have experienced what you have experienced, you know, and just the information is just going to help people. So first and foremost, I say like you, do you feel safe sharing your story with me and with all of us today? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's time. It's time for me to share it. And it's time for, um, I think it's time for honesty with our journey, with our journeys. You know, it's, it's, So many people kind of keep their journeys undercover and they don't want to share it. And what they don't realize is that everyone's story can be someone else's therapy. Oh, that's such a good point. And it's it's really important to be able to share that and be honest and open and really it creates a sense of community. Mm-hmm. And, and, and resonance, which yeah. is why I created the podcast, yep. right? It's, it's, you know, and for those who feel safe in sharing, it's mm-hmm. always about people who want to come on yeah. that they feel safe in sharing. Yep. And you do. Absolutely. So then that leads me always to my second question is why do you want to share your story? And I think you just kind of nailed most of it right there. Yeah, it's like I said, it's time. Um, And 
I'm, I'm 46 years old and I've spent my entire life hiding who I am because of fear. And it's time to stop being afraid and to just get out there and really, really share our stories and hope that it can help even just one person because the impact is huge. If you can help one person, then they can help another person and those people can help other people. And it's just, it's a snowball effect that we need to kind of get the ball rolling. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you said, you found that just interesting. You said that you were afraid Mm -hmm. um, of of like who you were or what your identity was. Uh, Because of my upbringing and, you know, I want to kind of make the caveat too that my upbringing was just that, you know, my parents did the very best that they could with the tools that they had in the moment. And there is no, you know, with whatever I talk about in this podcast, podcast series is there is no judgment held from me towards my parents at Mm -hmm. all. They did and still do the very best they can, just like all of us do. Mm -hmm. And we can only work from the toolbox that we have until we have more tools, Mm -hmm. you know, and kind of make changes that we need to make. So that's kind of my, my first and foremost thing that I want to say, but the fear just comes from having family that were raised in fear, you know, fear of God, fear of wrath, fear of judgment, fear of what other people will think. And I find there's a lot of people who can relate to that where they were brought up. Oh, don't say that because what will people think? Mm -hmm. So that really is at a young age, it gets hammered in really fast. Mm -hmm. And so that was where my fear stemmed from was from judgment from other people. Because it was about image. Yeah. Image and um, piety, you know, how, how holy are you within your religion and how good are you? And it kind of forms your, uh, forms your personality and forms who you are very young, but it's not who you really are. It's mm-hmm. conditioning. Right. So there was a lot of conditioning that stemmed into fear. So you just kind of keep yourself in this little bubble that you think is you. And then when you start to come out of that bubble, there's a great amount of fear because, oh, wait a minute, this doesn't align with this or that person or that religion or that society it doesn't align with any of that so maybe I shouldn't be that and that's it it took a long long time for me to get over that right yeah and so before this even happened before we even got because obviously religion played a huge fast factor Mm -hmm. into your identity let's start prior to that right when we're when we're talking about little tracy Mm -hmm. um as as this young girl before religion came in Mm -hmm. because you were uh you had felt that um you had some sensations in your childhood can you go and explain that um you mean like mediumship sensations absolutely (laughs) yes um so when i was little and Uh, I actually didn't remember a lot of this until probably about 10 years ago. But I suddenly remembered that um, I saw things when I was young. I remember being terribly afraid at a very young age of night and my, my room at night and sleeping. And it was almost like an anxiety to go to bed because what would happen is I would get... And the darkness does play into that, right? It kind of heightens all of your other senses. Mm -hmm. 
And I would see beings. I would see people. I would hear things. I would have recurring dreams of entities that I didn't understand. So this is the spiritual realm. So you're seeing uh, Mm -hmm. perhaps past lives as spirits you're seeing yeah. angels like I think what is I was, it that you're seeing I think I was mostly seeing earthbound spirits so you know loved ones that had passed over that were still clung either to the building itself like my house or the land or even just the surrounding land um I grew up in Bonas so there's lots of activity down in Bonas because it's a very very old area I know I lots, used to live there oh yeah lots of people have come and gone and of course you've got the Boer River too Water really amplifies any kind of spiritual activity. So I was seeing things and feeling things and hearing things at a very young age. And at the same time, I had kind of an unconscious understanding that no one would understand what I was going through if I actually said something. And whether or not that was accurate, I I can't say, but that's the way I felt. Did you try to say anything to anybody? I don't remember saying anything to anyone. Um, there was very mild talk once in a while about my grandmother who had, um, premonition dreams, but it was very brief and not really that spoken about. So I, I think just at a very young age, cause I wasn't emotionally mature. I just took that as you don't talk about this stuff mm-hmm. cause you just don't cause it's something to be feared. Right. So I was just very afraid all the time. Right. And I would see this stuff and not understand what was going on. And because you weren't allowed to talk about the fear? Yeah. Yeah. You never talked about your emotions. Right. It was just something that you just didn't do. Um, if you weren't happy, mm-hmm. you didn't talk about it. Wow. Full stop. Yeah. So again, whether or not that was the facts, that was how I perceived it as a child. Right. Yeah. And what was that like for you? Like, what were you feeling Oh, um, honestly, my childhood has a lot of holes, like a lot of memory holes. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain things that I remember, um, but they're most, mostly emotion-driven memories. So any kind of trauma I remember. Um, and then certain points of happy times uh, that would surround events like birthdays, Christmas, that sort of thing. But the rest really is pretty muddy. Right. Yeah. And so if you were afraid to express your emotions and afraid to talk, what did you do with it? Did you stuff it oh, down? Oh, stuffed did it. You... 100%. 100% stuffed it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I learned to stuff at a really, really young age. Mm-hmm. And what came out externally was um, in the perception from others that I was unfeeling, And cold and callous. And I do remember having family say to me, you know, why, why don't you feel? You're a very cold person. Wow. You know, and this would have been seven, eight, 10, 12 years old that people would be telling me this. And meanwhile, I'm sitting there going, well, yeah, because that's what I have to do to survive. Mm -hmm. I can't feel any of this. I got to put on a front and be a very specific type of person and that's just the coping mechanism that I put in place for myself. So it seems like a bit of a, a dualistic thing. It's like, mm-hmm. they, why are you not emotional, but yet you weren't allowed to be emotional? Right. <laughs> right. <Okay>. Yeah. <laughs> a little contradictory. Just there. a little. Yeah. yeah. And a little messed up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And especially for a little girl. Yeah. 
Yep. Right. So you just learned the coping mechanism was to stuff it all away. Mm-hmm. And then, and like you said earlier, you didn't remember a lot. So did yeah. that make you disassociate? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I remember <clears throat> when my, um, when my one grandfather died, I don't remember feeling emotion. Like I remember that I should be sad and that everyone else was sad around me. Uh, and I would have been, I think I was 16 when he passed away. Um, but I, I couldn't feel anything because by that stage in the game, I truly had taught myself not to feel. So, wow. yeah. And that, w- that was based in, in religion. So you had, um, and I think you had rephrased this in our, in our prep, that you called it a self-imposed seclusion. Absolutely. Yeah, I had myself in my own little bubble. Right. Yeah. And it was, it was comfortable there for me at that time because I, it, yeah, it's, it's like a disassociation that um, helps you cope with everything that's going on around you. Um, but what you don't realize is that it's actually very damaging mm-hmm. and you don't realize it until you're older. But at the time it was very comfortable, very safe. And I didn't have to associate with people who did appear to have emotions because I'd already taught myself that I don't need to have emotions. I can just float through life completely disassociated, completely emotionless, and still fully function. Wow. It was, I basically learned to act at a very young age. Right, because mm-hmm. you, you just had to stuff it all away. Now, was this traumatic for you? Yeah. Well, in hindsight, for sure. (laughs) Right. Not at the time. Um, But what I realized when I did have my nervous breakdown was those years of stuffing and disassociating, they just build up and build up and build up. And what else I learned was I'm actually a very highly emotional person and I feel everything. Mm -hmm. So it was so contradictory for my physical being, my emotional body and my spiritual body to completely disassociate from that. Right. It was the exact opposite to what I needed to do. Right. And I just need to interrupt here because friends, if you're listening to this and you're hearing lawnmowers and whippersnappers (laughs) and stuff like that, yeah, that's happening outside the building. So anyway, so there's a little bit of sound effects for you. Just a little bit of power washing going on. Yeah, that's what that guy's doing. You're power washing concrete that you're driving. Anyway, I don't get it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So back to, back to the story. Um, and we had talked about this because there was a difference between the fear, which you had, and mm-hmm. then the terror, mm-hmm. which you felt. Because yeah. I, I know personally for myself, having terror is one thing with nightmares and dealing with that. Yeah. And that's completely different than fear. Yeah. And you experienced that? Yeah. So the fear was more like the only emotion that I had all the time. It was like the thing that blanketed all the other emotions that I should have had. So it was a consistent fear. It was just more like anxiety. I would, I would describe it as anxiety. Okay. But the terror happened at night when I would see, sense, feel, and experience these beings because I had no idea what was going on. So when people say night terrors, that's pretty much what I was experiencing. And it was just that blood running cold, clammy skin, can't move, can't blink kind of terror. And you probably weren't able to sleep either. No, no. I remember being up till one, two o'clock in the morning when I was a child because I just couldn't get to sleep. And then when I did finally fall asleep, I wouldn't remember falling asleep. So really, I think my body would just shut down after a while. Mm -hmm. Just 
probably exhaustion and yeah. emotional exhaustion and it's like time to power down because your body can't handle this anymore. Right. Yeah. So where was your family in all of this? Like um, they didn't know what was going on, but did they have a sense that something was up or something was going on? I don't know. I, I suspect that my mom is highly intuitive and so is my grandma. So I, I'm sure they sense something going on. And again, they just probably didn't know what to do, mm-hmm. you know, um, and how to approach it, how to ask about it. And I was completely not willing to talk about it either. So mm-hmm. it's kind of this strange dance that you do where you have a bunch of people that just don't know how to deal with this. Well, and there's also the, um, the aspect that if you're intuitive, mm-hmm. it kind of goes against the principles of religion. Right. right. Yeah. So if they had these gifts Mm -hmm. as well, um, maybe they weren't aware of it. Maybe they were. Right. And even if they were aware, it would have been on a very small scale. And it, again, it would have been just pushed aside. Right. Yeah. Okay. So now, now we're going to get into the, the aspect of religion, because you've Mm -hmm. had this experience as a little girl of, you know, seeing these Mm -hmm. entities. Mm -hmm. And then now let's talk about how religion and which religion came in for you? So I started attending school in a uh, public Christian school. And uh, up until that point, we were religious. We attended a Lutheran church. So we did have a foundation of religion. And then when I started attending this school, uh, we met other Christian families. So um, my parents kind of dove in with both feet because uh, they found something that really worked for them. And, um, so we started attending a very charismatic Christian church and, uh, that's kind of where a lot of judgmental teaching kind of came in where, and again, of course it was in the eighties. So the eighties was very much about how you looked, um, your social standing and church was no different. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you know, my recollection of it, it was almost worse. You had to look a certain way for church. You had to act a certain way for church. You had to act a certain way around the people. And the things that were being taught were basically the same thing. You know, God wants you to be a certain way. um, And this is the way it is. And you can't deviate from that. Otherwise, you're not a true Christian. Wow. So I remember hearing a lot of um, Christian girls don't do that. Good girls don't think that way. Um, This is what God expects of you. So you kind of go with it, you know, and already being a very dissociated and emotionally stuffing person, it was just kind of another, another shell that I put on to appease everyone around me. So another layer. Yeah. Not really knowing that that's what I was doing. It was just another role that I was playing. Wow. Yeah. And then, so what was happening after that? So this was, this was, you went into that, uh, that, um, that school, the Lutheran um, school. And how old were you when that was happening? So I started the school, I believe it was grade one, kindergarten, grade one. Um, I did attend, yeah, I went to a Christian school for kindergarten and then I went to this other school for grade one. So I was in a Christian school, I believe until grade five. And then uh, that school closed down. So I was plummeted into public school. 
Oh, that must have been quite a difference. Holy culture shock, Batman. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, I come from this school where God reigns supreme. Uh, No swearing. You have to look a certain way again. I have to act a certain way again. And then I get into public school and it's like free range everybody. And it was just such a shock. And at the same time, we're attending church regularly. So I was kind of faced with this dichotomy of social standing. You know, you have to be a certain way for the Mm -hmm. public, but then you have to be a certain way for church people. Right. How do you, how do you navigate that when you're already a dissociated stuffing young person? (laughs) Right. 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 Because you're, you're being like, would you say that you were being forced into, you know, looking the certain way, being the certain way? Well, yeah, I, you know, forced is kind of a strong word. However, um, you kind of go along with what your family wants you to do because you're young and, you know, being, um, Dutch and German background, you, you did what you were told, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you come from families that, uh, respect of the hierarchy is very, very important. Mm -hmm. So you don't deviate from that. And then you add church on top of that. And then you have another, um, patriarchal system (laughs) telling you what to do. Oh dear. You know, so you've got all of these things telling you how to be, what to do, who to be, how to look, how to feel. What do you do with that? You stuff it. Mm -hmm. Or at least that's what I did. Mm -hmm. And I just kept going along minding my own business. (laughs) Right. But were your, were your spiritual needs being met? Um, I felt like well? they were. Yeah, I felt like they were. Um, simply because that is all I knew. Mm-hmm. That's all I knew. So it felt right. It felt good. Um, until it didn't. So when did your gifts start to fade then? Or were they Oh, still they were pro- gone. No, they oh. were gone at this stage. Yeah. So I think my gifts really faded probably, I would say probably around the same time I started school. Okay, so yeah. religion comes in, and then your spiritual gifts mm-hmm. go to the side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And how did that? How did that feel? Um, it was a relief for me because I didn't understand what was going on. Um, it was good to have a group of spiritual people who told me that that wasn't necessarily good, and that God was the only way. So I sort of hard steered into the God part and completely shut off and disassociated from any gifts. Wow. And it wasn't until, um, probably my early thirties after I'd had my first son that we started attending church that actually started teaching about prophetic gifts. Oh, and that was interesting because suddenly my gifts had an outlet, but they were still very uh, hard steered and boxed in. Mm-hmm. But I had a taste of it. So that was that was interesting. But I still didn't know what it was. I still didn't make the connection. Mm-hmm. It was I was taught that it was God and Holy Spirit only that could give you these gifts. Mm-hmm. Well, and you had said something too um, that uh, around the age of uh, 16 or not that anything that wasn't um, Christian was considered the devil. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. was really instilled. So anything in that wasn't approved by biblical um, teachings or scripture 
uh, was absolutely taboo. So they would call that, um, uh, oh, what's the word? Of course, now I can't think of the word because I'm on the spot. Um, secular. <laughs> secular. Secular. Yeah. So anything that was secular was bad. So music, art. Wow. Anything. Even anything music that, and art. Yeah. Music. There was a, a brief time in the, I want to say mid to late 80s, where it was actually being taught from the pulpit that any music that wasn't Christian music was Satan's music. And I remember attending um, a teaching for the youth where he had a stack of records and he went systematically through each band and each record and told us exactly why it was evil. Wow. Yeah. And I know of people who were shattering records, destroying tapes that they had previously. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And what kind of music can I ask? Like, like Anything. Was this Madonna? <laughs> Duran oh, yeah. Duran? Oh, Madonna would have been huge on that list. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> Eagles, Hotel California was a huge one. The because, Eagles? Yeah. So the uh, album cover for Hotel California has, um, I can't remember his name. And uh, he was the leader of the Satanist movement at the time. But he was amongst 30 people who were on the front of this album cover. But of course, they honed right in on this guy. This guy's on the album cover. So absolutely, this has to be of the devil because this guy is a, a Satan worshiper. Oh yeah, they they found every and all angles that they could possibly use to to discredit any music that wasn't Christian music. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did you actually listen to any other music? That I was- did. <laughs> yeah, I did. Crazy. Well, because I was a teenager. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so you were I rebelling. Was, I was a teenager in public school. Of course, I loved me some good. You know, you spin me right round and. <laughs> Some Depeche Mode. <laughs> Still love Depeche Mode. Come on. So yeah, I mean, really, in their eyes, I would have been rebelling. Hardcore. Mm-hmm. Did you feel any shame listening to all these? I did. Pop t- oh, wow. yeah. Yeah. I would listen to it and go, mm, I really shouldn't be listening to this, but it's such good music. Yeah. And then, of course, you'd feel shame and guilt and go to church on Sunday and repent of all your sins and then go back on Monday and listen to some more Boy George. <laughs> wow yeah wow yep okay oh my gosh so yeah like like one of the things that you had said here is that you you'd be going to hell if you were not doing what you were told yeah yeah the whole hellfire and brimstone being taught from the pulpit was was a big deal yeah so you know you've got a person who's fearful and anxiety ridden already and then you add you know, any little thing that you do that isn't in the Bible is going to send you straight to hell mm-hmm. on top of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's just stuff some more emotions and, you know, add some fear, shame and control on top of that. Wow. And yeah, let's let's upbring our children like that. That's an awesome idea. So did you feel, <laughs> not in my book, but um, did you feel like you were on trial a lot of the time that everything was under like a microscope? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You'd walk into church and you could feel people looking at you. And of course you know, perception is reality. So that was my perception of it. And, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd ask for assistance with certain things. And it was always under the guise of, well, you know, what have you been doing as a good Christian? Have you been deviating? This could be your fault. You know, you might have to repent. Wow. Oh yeah. So they would turn it around. Absolutely. Yeah. But that's how, that's how organized religion works. Right. It's through fear and shame and control. 
Right. And this was your experience. You were mm-hmm. living it. And this is, this was absolutely my experience. Yeah. Wow. And did you feel like you missed out on things? Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause I had friends who, well, I had friends who were Christians and friends who weren't Christians. And even some of the friends who were Christians, they had a lot more freedom than I did. Um, and again, it was my perception. I felt very, um, sheltered and very under control. And, you know, if my mom is listening, I love you, mom. You did the very best you could. (laughs) (laughs) But that, again, that was my perception, you know? So I always kind of felt like I was in this tug of war with life where I had what I should be doing. Mm -hmm. And then there was what I wanted to do. And what I wanted to do always, I always felt like went against what I should be doing. Mm -hmm. So you've got this weight of guilt all the time about what you're doing and you're, and then what you learn is to micromanage your own emotions and your own uh, actions, you know, is what I'm doing, is God going to be happy with this? Right. And if not, uh So you're always questioning yourself. Always. Yeah. yeah. And, and what would you do to alleviate that guilt? Was it just repent? Did you, I don't know, have yeah. some food? Did you? Yeah. Well, I would, <laughs> I would pray and, right. you know, attend more church and um, listen to more Christian music and, you know, journal to God. And just, it was like this cycle of repentance, um, praying, hoping that God approves of what you're doing, mm-hmm. and then just delving more into Christianity in hopes that this will somehow make up for the lie that you told last week or the fact you didn't do your homework or that you, you know, snuck out and went out with some friends. Mm-hmm. It, it was always just guilt and, and fear. So guilt and fear. So during this time, were you feeling anxiety, depression? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I didn't know it at the time. Um, but yeah, for sure. Anxiety. Um, every time I would do something, there was always a certain amount of anxiety involved because like I said, I was micromanaging, how I was, the way I acted, what I said, what I did. And then you always have a fear of, you know, what are your parents thinking? What are your church friends thinking? Would they approve? Would those people approve? Lord almighty. That's a lot of pressure it on a, a teenager. It is a lot of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. So how long did this last? Uh, a long time. So I was very active in the church till I was about 32. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So right from young up until mm-hmm. you were 32. Yeah. So then what was happening? Like, did you have any kind of awareness kick in during that time? Or yeah. did it start so to happen later? What ended up happening was, um, I had my first son when I was 24, met my husband when I was 32. Um, and my husband was not brought up with any religion. Um, and I like to call him, uh, an optimistic skeptic. An so, optimistic skeptic. Yeah, so he's willing to listen to anything. Um, and then at the same time, he is also a proponent of making up his own mind about it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we can have a conversation. We can have a discussion about this, but I'm going to make my own decision about it. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to force me into believing, saying, thinking any particular way. Okay. I need to hash it out for myself. Okay. So it was like two polar opposites coming together. And it worked. Wow. So I had my second son and um, 
went through severe postpartum. And that kind of started the snowball rolling because I was, we moved out of Calgary. So I was separated from the church. Mm -hmm. So I had some breathing room. I just didn't know it at the time. Okay. So I was secluded enough that I started to realize some of the things that I'm being taught, I didn't necessarily agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do I deal with that? And was this coming through your relationship at the time? Yes and no. Um, I think what my husband did was he opened a door to free thinking. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, I love you and I get that you need to go to church and that's great for you and not so great for me, but we can still have a relationship and it still worked. Um, But then (laughs) when I started dating him, because he's not a Christian, I got a lot of backlash. You know, you can't be unequally yoked. Yoked. What does that mean? So the the story is about um, uh, a horse or not a horse. It would be um, a cow or an ox pulling um, a plow. Mm -hmm. And the piece of wood that goes over top of the ox to pull the plow is called a yoke. Oh, okay. So the, I'm going to totally butcher this scripture, but the gist of it is um, you cannot be unequally yoked with someone else and still expect to live uh, a good life. So the way they took that was you can't be a Christian and have a relationship with a non-Christian. That's being unequally yoked. Okay. But the way I took it was you can't be in a relationship with someone who doesn't have the same values as you. So if you, you and I can like each other just fine, but if there's a lot of topics that we don't agree on, it's just not going to work. Like you can only agree to disagree so long. Right. And then it just breaks down. That's the way I took it. And when I questioned it, I was told that it was not my place to question God's word. Wow. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, okay. And there was a few instances like that where I would speak up and say, "Mm, I don't know that's what that means. Can we talk about this? Nope. No, we can't. Wow. You were just denied. Mm, Totally denied. So that kind of paired with a lifelong time of stuffing, disassociating, and then suddenly realizing maybe I have a mind of my own was kind of the the step one doorway. Okay. Yeah. And then <clears throat> and then the next one was uh, after I'd started going back to work, um, I'd gone through a couple of jobs, started working at a warehouse, injured my back at work, had to stop working. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, financially, we kind of plummeted because suddenly we didn't have two incomes. We only had one. And the stress of that um, kind of set me into a spiral because uh, it was just, you can only carry around your baggage for so long mm-hmm. before you got to drop it. Mm-hmm. And I just kept adding more and more baggage. And, and were you still in postpartum depression? Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I think it's safe to say I suffered from postpartum for at least two and a half years. After your second child? After my second child. Yeah. And then of course I already had pre-existing depression and anxiety. So it just made that so much worse. And then I'm injured, can't work. And my self-worth was very much tied into how I could contribute 
to my family. Right. So suddenly I can't contribute to my family. How's my self-worth doing? Well, it's in the toilet. So all I did was try to figure out how I can support my family. So I went back to work again at a completely different job at a bank. FYI, I am not good at math. (laughs) I do not know why I thought a bank was a good idea. But I think my thought process was, ooh, a bank, a real job. Right. People will really like that I have a real job. And it would be approved. It would be approved. Absolutely. And it was wholeheartedly approved. When I got that job, everybody was like, oh, yeah, real job. You got yourself a career. Right. Cool. Except, you know, fast forward two months into my training and I'm at the front till and I'm suddenly having panic attacks at the till. Oh, my gosh. Um, And I had two very, very hardcore panic attacks where I had to leave go into the bathroom, put my head between my knees and breathe because I was cold sweating. My stomach was turning. I was getting lightheaded tunnel vision, like almost passing out kind of panic attack. Right. It sounds almost like your terror attacks, Mm -hmm. your night terrors when you were a child. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So my body was basically telling me it's time to stop. It's time to reassess and to actually start to heal. But I didn't know what from yet. Right. You know, I was still just kind of in the throes of, I need a job. I need to support my family. I need to help my husband. I need to help my kids. I need to be a good person. I need all of these things that you put on yourself. That's just insane. Yeah. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point I wasn't sleeping. So I had suffered with insomnia on and off for, I'm not even sure how long, for quite some time. And after these panic attacks, my boss basically told me to go home because if I was sick, I didn't want to give it to anyone at the bank, mm-hmm. you know, real compassion there. Thanks. <laughs> so I go home and now I'm really not sleeping. So nine days goes by without sleep. Nine days. Nine days. Yeah. How was that even physically possible? I don't know. I don't know. But it happened. I would... I would be exhausted during the day and I'd go to sleep and bing, wide awake, but still exhausted, mentally exhausted. So day nine, I remember, I remember my husband getting up for work, leaving for work and I had a pounding headache. And of course I still have this back injury. So my back is hurting. So I go into the kitchen, get myself a bottle of Advil, sit at the side of my bed and think, okay, If I take two extra strength Advil, the pain will definitely go away. But how many of these could I take and before it puts me to sleep? Maybe I can actually get some sleep. Mm -hmm. And I think it was, I don't even know how many I'd taken, maybe six or seven. And I was suddenly hit with the thought, hold on. If you take too many, you might go to sleep but never wake up. Wow. And I remember sitting there on the side of my bed weighing whether or not that was okay. Whether or not you wanted to die. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it was like, hmm, that might not be such a bad thing. Wow. And then the the next thought that popped in my head was, uh, you would be leaving your children and your husband and your family just because you wanted some sleep. Maybe it's time to talk to somebody. Right. And so I 
Hold on. So I think we're actually just going to stop there for a moment. Yeah. This power washer gets keeps, just keeps getting closer and closer. <laughs> and so we're going to stop just at that thought for yeah. a moment. And then we'll, we're going to come right back to it because this is where the counseling started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hopefully this uh, power washer will be done soon. All right. So we're now back after an hour long break and our pressure washer man is gone and we're going to continue with you now are going into counseling. Yeah. So um, after kind of an intervention from my aunt and her giving me very distinct instructions on what to do, one of which was as soon as mental health in my town opened, I was to call and tell them exactly what I had told her. And uh, so I did. And they got me in that afternoon. And I was able to talk to someone. And it was interesting because, of course, because of you know, the, the mental health intake, you have to go through your history. So I basically told her kind of the same story that I told today here on the podcast, um, minus, you know, seeing beings and whatnot, because I didn't want her to think I was 100% crazy. (laughs) Um, um, but after I kind of gave her the lowdown, she just looked at me and she said, you know, I think you've been dealing with depression and anxiety your entire life. Wow. And it really kind of put a peg in my life where, holy cow, yeah, I think you're right. And so we just went through verbal processes of how do we get Tracy back? And who is Tracy? Like really going into a a discovery of who I really am, aside from all of these social constructs that I've either had put on my life or put on myself. And um, one of the things was my inability to uh, control my anxiety and my fear because everything was put through an anxiety and fear filter. Mm -hmm. And so you've got this body that is so used to reacting in fear and anxiety to everything um, that it's actually, it's not, it's no longer emotional, it's physiological. So your body has learned to release the stress hormone every time you feel this way. And that just puts you into a tailspin all the time. So she, um, she asked me if I'd ever tried meditation and of course I hadn't because meditation would fall under that category of, oh, it's not Christian. So it's, you know, if you do this, wow. you're opening yourself up to uh, demonic entities and, oh yeah. Even was, meditation. Oh yeah. Even meditation. Meditation and yoga were a huge no-no for anybody. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> so, you know, I said no. And, and she said, well, I have this program that's actually a biofeedback program that I can hook you up on. You can give it a try, see if you like it. And if you like it, we can use this as a tool. And so what it was, was she hooked up my fingers to the biofeedback machine and it measured my oxygen and my heartbeat. So the program was, it would, the first stage was um, a tree that showed on the computer. And then you had to, through breath control and heart rate control, change the tree through the seasons. Oh, okay. So you had to keep your breath and your heart rate below a certain level or it wouldn't move. Mm -hmm. So what you were doing is you were teaching yourself to maintain a baseline of non-stress through your breath and your heart rate. Okay. 
And after I did that a couple of times, and then I started doing it at home, I realized I was feeling a lot better. Good. Like substantially better. Because she told me, you need to use this in situations where you're feeling anxiety and stress reactions to teach your body not to react that way to everything. Mm-hmm. And so I started using it and it was making an enormous difference. And so that was kind of the, you know, I guess that would be the second doorway into self-realization and that I can actually be in control of who I am and that this person who I've become isn't necessarily who I actually am. Because mm-hmm. having this much stress and anxiety and sleeplessness and panic is not doing me any good. No. And I, you know, she asked me what I was going to do. You know, what, what, what are your steps? What are your plans? And I said, well, you know, maybe I should go back to church, you know, cause you know, I always kind of felt good there. And, and what she, you know. that's what I know. It's comfortable. Mm-hmm. And she just looked at me and she goes, so how was that working for you so far? And it was like, <laughs> oh, not so good. Right. Because I'm here. I almost killed myself. <laughs> and she said, yeah, so maybe you need to start thinking outside of the box, outside of your own realm of reality and start thinking about different ways of living your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause so, so that was the one thing that really kind of turned really, it for you, that question. How is that yeah. working for you? Yeah. And it's like, oh. It's not working at all. <laughs> clearly, <laughs> clearly not working. Right. Yeah. So, um, so I continued with the meditation, continued with the counseling and all was going well, but I, I was feeling like I was hitting a plateau mm-hmm. and, um, I was on medication. I was on, um, uh, it was like a, a different version of, um, uh, it Prozac? Sure. The so antidepressant. So antidepressant. Antidepressant. Yeah. yeah. So because I needed to recover. Right. You know, and was awareness in at this point? Yeah. It was creeping. Okay. It was creeping in. I was starting to question my life and how I was up until that point. So yeah, awareness was creeping in. Um, the big boom of awareness came when. It was uh, probably a month and a half or two months after I'd begun counseling that um, a wonderful lady posted on our local buy and sell. She was taking her Reiki teacher's certificate and she needed to do uh, some practicum clients. Mm -hmm. And so she posted on the buy and sell that she needed volunteers um, for a free Reiki session just so she could do her practicum and get her certification. And something clicked and I'd, I'd heard of Reiki, had no idea what it was, like mm-hmm. not a clue. And, but I responded. And so I just said, yeah, I would love to try this. What is it? And she said, well, in the simplest terms, you know, you get a, a good hour of relaxation. It's just a Japanese relaxation technique. And I went, oh, I can do some with some relaxation. <laughs> Who can't, right? <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> Sign me up. And it's free. And so she took me through this Reiki treatment Super sweet lady, really gentle, very safe feeling, um, and explained everything really, really well, got me on the table and she started the treatment and I could feel like instant relaxation. And 
I could feel her hands touching my head and then I felt her hands touching my shoulders and then my temples. But when she moved up to my temples, her hands also stayed on my shoulders. Yeah. So I was, that really works. Yeah. I was feeling four hands touching me and yet I still felt completely safe. So you felt four sets of hands. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And so, and during the session I was seeing colors, I was hearing almost like whispers, mm-hmm. um, definitely feeling what I would describe as the presence of God. So when I was in church, the last church that I was in was very much um, about the miraculous portion of Christianity, which had some really, really great stuff. I don't want to discount Christianity completely because Mm -hmm. that's not fair either. I did learn a great deal about um, spiritual gifts Mm -hmm. through the Christian filter Mm -hmm. um, that I can still apply to my life now. I just understand it more. Mm -hmm. And it, I recognize this sensation as the presence of God that I would feel in church. Okay. It felt exactly the same. So you felt the presence of God the way you did in church mm-hmm. as you were in your Reiki session. Correct. Okay. That's so a nice bridge. It was a little bit mind blowing yeah. because that's when the realization came in that, oh, it's actually all the same. Ah. But wow. nobody would ever tell you that in church because they don't want you, well, they don't even understand that themselves. Mm-hmm. So... <clears throat> And when she was done, she wanted some feedback. You know, how was it? It's your first time, you know, (laughs) how did this go? And so I told her about the hand thing and she just looked at me and she goes, well, I don't do this alone, you know. (laughs) And I, and I, then I said the thing about, you know, how this felt very similar to the presence of God. And she goes, I love Jesus. Jesus is one of my people that I call in for this session. Right. And I just kind of went, oh, so... I can mix and match it. <laughs> like I can <laughs> mix and match. You know, like potato chips. I can, I can, I can do all the things. I can believe what I want to believe. Like all of these things work to what? Wow. And so that was, that was the moment that the realization came in that there is a me that hasn't lived at mm. all that has been confined in this box of preconceived notions and conditioning and self-imposed um, separation yeah. that needs to come out and needs to experience life. So that was like a big aha moment. Ah, that was huge, like your breakthrough. Huge. Yeah. Wow. That was when the light came in. Right. And I hadn't realized how little light was in my life until that moment. Right. Yeah. It was like somebody opened the doors and the windows of my little boxy house. Right. Yeah. And so it's nice to blend in what you are already learning Mm -hmm. through your church and into this newer world that you're starting to dive into. Right. So, because it's not about judging religion and whatnot, it's just your experience and what you're expanding yourself to. to do yeah. and to open up to. And, and the way I see it now, because I did, there was a, a solid year there where I held a lot of judgment and resentment and hatred towards the church because mm. 
I felt like I'd had people turn their back on me that were, that promised never to. And again, that was very much my perception of it. And now in hindsight, I see it as Christianity laid the groundwork for who I am today. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't have the training that I had in church, I don't know that I could have taken this aspect of my life into where it is now Mm -hmm. because I didn't have that framework in place. Right. So everything happens for a reason isn't just a saying. Right. Everything really does happen for a reason. Right. And sometimes you don't see it until quite later on in your life. Hindsight. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Hindsight. And then hindsight becomes foresight for something else. Yeah. Yeah. So now, now that you were seeing lights and stuff like that, is this now going back into your childhood where you're starting Mm -hmm. to see entities and and everything? Suddenly I was realizing that because I was starting to get sensations again. So I would uh, hear things, uh, see movement out of the corner of my eye, um, sense people in my vicinity that weren't physically there, uh, and then emotions. So suddenly my emotions were charged back up again. And uh, one of the things that this particular lady taught me, the Reiki lady, was that people like me are highly intuitive and emotional. And mm-hmm. the fact that I was where I was was because I had stuffed all of those emotions and hadn't allowed them to be felt. Mm-hmm. So when I made the conscious choice to feel my feelings, all of the other sensations came back. Wow. Yeah. All your spiritual sensations mm-hmm. mean. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they very much go hand in hand. Right. You know, you can't separate your physical from your emotional and spiritual and mental. They all work together. Mm-hmm. And if you have one that isn't working right, none of them work right. Right. Well, it's the mind, body, spirit connection. We hear lots of people talk about that. Mm -hmm. So now, so just to, before we get into your Reiki work and stuff like that, were you still going through anxiety, depression, insomnia? And how were you treating those? And you know, I don't know, I don't know that those will ever completely go away. Mm-hmm. Because I'm still human. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yes, we are. Fucking humanity. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We do have to do the human thing still. Yeah. Um, but what I was realizing is, the more, the more that I consciously chose to feel, the more my anxiety and depression dissipated. Wow. It was the action of ignoring my feelings that caused the anxiety and depression Mm -hmm. and the act of depriving myself of my humanity and all that that entails. So my emotions, my physical response to my emotions, that's what directly caused my depression, especially, and then my anxiety as well. Mm -hmm. And when I could start to see, I could start to see very clearly the stages in my life where I consciously stuffed very, traumatic experiences when I could start to kind of go back and not relive, but feel the feelings that may have gone along with those traumas Mm -hmm. was when I, it was like notches in my depression and anxiety would just go down a notch. And then when I could deal with this situation, it would go down a notch again. And then I was able to 
actively deal with present situations a lot better because I understood, okay, this is happening right now. My initial response, because historically this is what I've done, is to ignore it, stuff it, and move on. Mm -hmm. But if I stop for just a couple minutes right here and right now and feel exactly what's happening and deal with my emotional response right now and then decide what I'm going to do with it, I can move past it and I never have to deal with it again. Mm -hmm. So you've made a little step program. Yeah. So the awareness is really key for you. It is. Absolutely. Into your emotions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And into your, into your thoughts, right? Because you had, I mean, your behavioral patterns were certainly in connection with your, like your thoughts were in connection with your reactions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So putting in awareness, how long did you go into counseling for? Do you mind me asking? Um, I was in active counseling for almost a year. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was also on medication for a year and, um, after a year I wanted to be weaned off because I was also understanding that this kind of dulled my emotions too. And this was, you know, in the process of me trying to deal with my emotions. So it wasn't, I was seeing it as not really beneficial for me in that time to repress emotions medically and with a chemical while I'm actually trying to heal my emotions. Mm -hmm. So I gave myself a year and that seemed to work for me. And, you know, my, my doctor was like, yeah, I think you should be safe enough to start to wean off of this. And then once I could really start to feel my emotions, then my abilities really amped up too. Did your abilities help in your healing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How so? Um, I think because it, well, it brought back memory for one of having this when I was a child and then understanding that the trauma of the terror was simply because I didn't understand. And now I do understand. So I could kind of fix two things at once. Mm -hmm. I could fix my past trauma because I realized that it was all okay. It was just something I believed at the time. And then I can fix my current trauma because I have the ability to be very cognizant of my emotions and that having emotions is actually okay. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of us are taught that having intense emotions isn't actually okay. Well, and it's very judged and frowned upon, especially if you have fear or you're jealous or Mm -hmm. you're envious or you're insecure, these sort of, or you're angry or something Mm -hmm. like that. So these, uh, these other so-called quote unquote, ugly feelings, those darker feelings, um, you know, we're still in a society where a lot of that isn't acceptable mm-hmm. and then it becomes a label that, oh, well, then you're just mental. You know, then there's mental illness because of these yeah. these other emotions, but they're there to give you a message mm-hmm. just as much as the healthier emotions Absolutely. are. Well, I shouldn't say that that they're unhealthy. They're, they're just emotions. They're, they're just messages. emotions. Yeah. yeah. They all come together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was, and I dealt with anger for really, well, my most of my life, anger was very dominant in my life. And, uh, I realized that anger is a direct root of sadness, deep, deep sadness. And when, when I learned that I was able to look at my anger with compassion Mm. instead of shame. Mm, Cause a lot of us look at our anger issues with shame. So we just continue to stuff them. Yeah. Or to continue to express anger. Yeah. So it just, we kind of perpetuate the same 
the same stigma over and over and over again, instead of realizing that anger actually needs compassion and love to resolve. Mm -hmm. And when I could see myself as, when I could be compassionate towards myself, that's when the anger issues started to resolve Mm. along with a lot of the other, but it it really boils down to self-awareness, right? Being acutely aware of yourself, what you're feeling in the moment, how you're reacting to it and dealing with it at that time instead mm-hmm. of just going, oh, well, I'll just deal with that later. Right. Because sometimes there may not be a later. Mm-hmm. So you might as well take the time now and allow yourself to move through the motions of being human. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's steps, mm-hmm. right? They're yeah. all steps. I did an episode about a million little steps and, you know, the awareness even comes in steps. You yeah. know, it could be aware of a physical symptom first, which yeah. you realized for yourself, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, oh my God, I'm physically not yeah. doing well. And I think a lot of people are like that. They, they don't realize there's a problem until there's a physical problem. Yeah. Until because, it shows up as a symptom. Yeah. Because our, our physical is so um, predominant in this three dimensional world. You know, Mm -hmm. that's, that's the one thing that, that keys us into something all the time. Um, unfortunately, you know, by the time we have physical symptoms, it's a lot of work kind of reeling it back in again. That Mm -hmm. said, a lot of people do end up becoming very self-aware because they've had to, okay, my physical body is now being affected. Where is the root of this? And that's mm-hmm. where, like you said, the steps of self-realization and, and just being self-aware come in. It's like, okay, my body's doing this. What does this usually mean? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm feeling tight in my stomach. I can barely breathe. What does this usually mean for me? Mm-hmm. It usually means you've taken on a little too much mm-hmm. and you have to say no somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And once you kind of get there, it's like, oh, whew. Yeah. That feels better. And it's okay to ask for help and mm-hmm. to reach for help, yeah. which is... You know, you could go the the counseling, you know, psychologist, doctor, yep. medicinal route. You know, there's nothing wrong with those steps as yeah. long as you're taking the steps into awareness. Yes. And then your path will take you wherever you need to go. Because yeah. that's that's why I wanted to share with this is this podcast is people sharing their different roads yeah. to healing. Yeah. Right. And some of them are the same roads, but they're still different because yeah. we all have a different perspective. We all And nobody's things. journey is the same. Exactly. You know, yeah. it's... Uh, it's kind of mind-boggling how similar we all are, but how different we all are too. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, I could go there, you know, and talk about that particular topic for hours, and <laughs> we don't just we just don't have that kind of time. We we, we don't actually. <laughs> um, but so I wanted to kind of, um, as we're kind of nearing the end of this episode, um, how has the because you've continued with Reiki because mm-hmm. obviously we're going to talk about that in part two. Yeah. So. So you, you did the counseling for a year, you did the medication for a year, mm-hmm. you became in tune with your emotions, working on that. Yep. Was Reiki still a big part of your healing journey? Yeah. So uh, after my first treatment, um, I actually decided to take my level one Reiki, I think it was only about four to six months after that. Because mm. she just, because she had gotten her teacher's uh, certification. So then she started teaching. I was one of the first people that she contacted. She goes, I don't know what you feel about this, but this feels really right for you, but you know, it has to be actually right for you. And I was like, yeah, I'm so on board. I can't even tell you. Right. Just take my money. (laughs) 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 Just take my money. Um, and when I went through the first level of Reiki, it was like the top of my head blew wide open. 
and figuratively figuratively <laughs> yes because i'm still here talking to you yes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh and my abilities opened up i would say to well com- comparatively speaking to 100 percent. now i realize that it's i still have a lot more ability that keeps popping up mm-hmm. but at that time it was like it just it took me right back to when I was a child. That's mm-hmm. how intense it was. Right. So I was, <clears throat> after my level one Reiki, I was actively seeing spirits. So mm-hmm. you want to call them ghosts. I call them earthbound spirits. So ghosts, um, guides, uh, angels. Mm-hmm. And then I was also sensing um, timeline shifts. Mm. Wow. Okay. So I could sense... A moment in time. You know when you have deja vu? Yep. We actually just had some here you today. <laughs> yeah. um, it's like I can sense the times when I have a very distinctive choice to make. Mm-hmm. And I have several timelines that I can choose. And each wow. one isn't neither good nor bad. It's right. just a variation. And this is these are pivotal moments that create your destiny is moving that, forward. Is that kind of like a parallel universe? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Okay, that might, we have to might save that for the yeah. next episode. That was but, interesting. But, you know, stuff like this was really popping in and becoming really obvious to me mm-hmm. when before it hadn't. But it still at the same time felt very familiar, which is a really weird, you know, it's new, but it's not new. Mm-hmm. It was like a remembering. Mm-hmm. I was gaining, I was gaining my knowledge that I had had and I was just remembering it. Right. Yeah. And this was bringing you peace with yeah. in yourself. You're discovering your identity. You're mm-hmm. getting a handle on your emotions, yeah. your anxiety and depression. We're healing. Your yep. insomnia is healing. Yes. Your PTSD. A year after, I remember having a solid week of good sleep mm, and nice. thinking, oh, this is what it feels like to be kind of normal. I mean, I'm still pretty flipping weird, but this is what it feels like to be kind of normal. Well, if you're going to label yourself, that's fine. If that's how you identify, that's fine. That's okay. That's okay. Yep. We accept it. Yep. Yeah. So that's amazing. So Reiki was obviously a huge factor yeah. and is still a huge factor for you. Yeah. Um, but this this was for to the end of this episode. Um, what um, what would be your final words as far as your healing journey is concerned? Because some people are not going to be familiar with Reiki, but right. we'll talk about that in part two. You know, and how how this gentle form of healing has helped you maintain uh, good health. I think the things that stand out for me are you don't know who you really are until you stop the momentum of life and just stop and be with yourself and you stop listening to other people and you listen to yourself. And that's what I had to do. I had to stop and listen to myself. What does Tracy need? Not what does Tracy think everyone else wants of her or wants her to be, but what what does Tracy need and who am I within that? Because frankly, I had no clue who I was. I thought I was many things and turned out I was none of them and all of them at the same time. It's kind of a weird weird thing but you know for people to just really sit with themselves and have that self-awareness is so important Mm -hmm. I I 
can't even express how important it is. That's amazing. Yeah. And so uh, I guess just as a final question, because then how did your family react to all of this? And have they accepted you now that you're kind of out of the church a little bit? Are you out of the church? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm out of the church. <laughs> right. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. So th- that's a big transition. Yeah. And how has that affected you? Or it's, has it? it's been interesting because, again, I had all these preconceived notions on how they would react. And the fact is they just love me and nice. it doesn't matter. And they understand that this is my life. And, you know, my family has grown leaps and bounds too, as we all do throughout our lives. Um, and I think, especially my parents, cause I was really worried that I would be somehow ostracized. And of course that is so not my parents. They're probably the most loving people I've ever met in my entire life. And, uh, they just go with the flow. It's like they they know that this is my life and that I got to do what I need to do. And we still have amazing conversations and still have amazing relationship all within our different lifestyles. You know, I respect their Christianity. They respect, I don't know that they know what to call what I do, feel, sense, think. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but they still just love me, right. you know. And it's wonderful. It is wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And I'm blessed because I know a lot of people don't have that yeah. kind of situation, but I am very blessed in that. Yeah. Well, that that's really wonderful. And I think it's a beautiful way to end this, mm. this episode. And so for everyone, I hope you've taken um, what Tracy says and whatever works for you, great. Whatever yeah. doesn't, then you discard it. Yeah, and, exactly. But in the next episode, she's going to talk about her, I would call it esoteric practices, yeah. her Reiki techniques, yep. tarot card readings, uh, mediumship, spiritual <laughs> intuitiveness. Uh, am I missing anything, Trace? All of the things. <laughs> yeah, all, all of those things. So we're going to get into that in the next episode. And I think you're going to do a little uh, sample reading yes, for I me am. as well. Yay. Yes. So thank you, everyone, friends, and stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you or someone you know is in immediate need of help, please contact your local authorities, distress center, or professional care provider. If you'd like more information on this episode or other topics, go to my website, UrsulaYou'reDone.com.